0: Your news program every morning with up-to-the-minute news and extensive analysis of issues from Korea and abroad. This morning with Alex Jensen on TBS EFM. Now then, the
1: Associated Press won this year's Pulitzer Prize for Public Service for its report series titled Seafood from Slaves. This was... By a four-woman team of AP journalists leading a year-long investigation into slave labour in the fishing industry in Southeast Asia. I I come back in my mind to uh, a story we covered previously on the show of Thailand in this regard. I I wonder if we'll be able to delve further into that as well with Martha Mendoza, Associated Press, national writer. Good morning to you from Seoul. Hello. I know you're in California right now, so thanks for taking the time to join us. What prompted this investigation? I mentioned before that there was some knowledge, I suppose, for some time, that there were some issues, human rights issues, with, for example, children from Myanmar being forced to work in places like Thailand in the seafood industry. Uh, Was it that sort of knowledge that sparked a broader investigation?
0: Yes, you're exactly right. I mean, slavery at sea and um, slavery in the Thai fishing industry had been an open secret for decades with really especially bad conditions in, as you mentioned, the Thai fishing industry, but trapped on floating prisons, sometimes touching ground just once a year. Men from Myanmar, Cambodia, Laos, and Thailand knew were working around the clock, often sleeping just one or two hours a day. Their stories were reaching the public when they escaped or were rescued, and the fish were catching. It was never entirely clear where it was going, so we set out to find captive slaves so we could counter industry claims that the problems had been solved. And we followed specific loads of slave-caught seafood to supply chains of particular brands and stores, so companies couldn't deny culpability anymore.
1: Was this a dangerous investigation at times for you? Did did you start feeling the pressure if and when authorities got wind of what you were doing?
0: Yes. I mean, on the island of Bengina, which was where we found people enslaved, Um, my colleagues used a small wooden boat to approach a trawler with captive fishermen who were pleading for help to speak from their captain and they persisted even after being ordered to leave and were chased and nearly ran by angry company workers who showed up in a speedboat. Um, Other times we had to just work a little bit surreptitiously or undercover as we were following truckloads of seafood through um, some Lutsakan south of Bangkok. It's a um, it's an area known for gun-carrying mafias, and the work not necessarily safe.
1: No. The fact that this was a a team of women, d- did that make any difference, do you think, to the investigative process?
0: I think that it's important that we were an all women team for several reasons. One is that in the United States, two-thirds of the people graduating from journalism school are women, and yet just one-third of journalists are women. And so for us to be able to take on and accomplish a really high profile piece of journalism is important. um, And we're very proud of it. We also were extremely collaborative and we're very close. um, And so it was a special, it's been special working with my colleagues on this.
1: Well, congratulations for all the acclaim you've uh, achieved, but also especially congratulations for helping to free more than 2,000 slaves through the process of this investigation. Did you have any expectation that it would reach that level?
0: No. You know, you do a lot of journalism and you can never really know what the impact is going to be. But after we reported what was happening on the slave island and we were able to publish photos of men in cages and document in with detailed accuracy, how the fish they caught were in the supply chains of places like Walmart, Cisco, in the United States. Um, the Indonesian authorities sent officials to the island, and in one day, they began interviewing some men who described horrific conditions: um, being beaten with stingray tra- tails, um, people being dying, and um, av- and being buried under fake names. And um, they said they would rescue them and then more people came to be interviewed and ostensibly rescued. And soon they went out with a megaphone and called out to this whole island, anybody who wants to come can come. And people began running out of the jungle and jumping out of the boats and just pouring down to the docks. And it was, it was just incredible.
1: I can imagine. Uh,
0: but the- and, and yes, as you mentioned, I mean, to date, more than 2,000 men have been rescued.
1: But for the the children that I referenced before, the child labor that continues in this industry, the slavery among adults as well, is it still widespread uh, to an extent that would shock most of us?
0: Absolutely. And what happened was after we did the initial story at Benjina, the Thai government and Thai companies said, you know, this is not us, this happened in Indonesia, and while the fish were ending up in Thailand for export, this is not really a Thai problem. We've taken care of it. And so we really set our sights on Thailand. Um, We located factories just outside Bangkok last fall where we found children and poor migrants locked inside and forced to peel and devein shrimp. And again, we linked their sheds where this work was happening to supply chains reaching European and Asian markets as well as dozens of popular U.S. brands, supermarkets and restaurant chains, including Target, Whole Foods, and Red Lobster. And as a result... In December, the largest seafood company in Thailand pledged millions of dollars to bring all shrimp peeling and processing in house. And about 2,000 people there have now been relocated into jobs. But the problems persist. I mean, this is, this is a massive problem. And mm. um, we just wanted to expose an example of it in hopes of really shifting the industry.
1: Well, more than any subsequent investigation or having to rely on authorities in the countries uh, referenced in your article, do do you think that a mass boycott, a consumer boycott uh, throughout the world is the most effective way of dealing with this?
0: You know, there's kind of um, three different ways people talk about dealing with this. Greenpeace and some other major organizations have called for boycott. Um, Some of the NGOs, some of the bigger NGOs, are taking the approach of building resilience in communities so people are not susceptible to being tricked and taken by brokers in the first place because they can find work and um, have a life in their own own home. And um, a third approach is traceability, and there's technologies that are being deployed where people really can trace back their seafood with more accuracy. Um, a very significant thing happened in the United States that also should make a difference. Um, For 85 years, there's been a law here that banned import of slave-produced goods, and that law was not being enforced. And we wrote about it, and there were congressional hearings in the middle of all these seafood investigations. And in February, President Obama um, changed the law so that it will be enforced. Um, He closed a loophole that had said that you could import goods that are slave-produced if there was a consumptive demand. And he took out those two words, consumptive demand. And um, that was February when that was signed into law. In March, two shipments of goods that were produced by forced labour have already been stopped at the border or at the port.
1: Well, that's encouraging. And and one would hope that that with that sort of pressure and maybe taking into consideration all of the suggestions you mentioned before, uh, this can slowly, well, one would like fast, but uh, at least slowly be eradicated at you were also mm-hmm. part of a team, though, that won a Pulitzer Prize in 2000. Um, so you have a very accomplished background, to say the least, but that was for something very close to home for all of us listening. The Nogoni report unveiled to the world yeah. the, uh, the massacre of South Korean civilians by US soldiers at the start of the Korean War. That was very different, though, because you were dealing with history, and, and I guess the quest for justice was different.
0: Well it was different in that it was a historical dig but it was not different in that there were people who were standing by looking for truth and in South Korea courageous people had been speaking out about this. The survivors knew what had happened and had been demanding um, accountability and um, and so in that way there were still people who were waiting for for the truth to come out and and fighting for the truth to come out.
1: But both of these examples different as the context may be, seem to indicate that journalism itself is, is maybe the fourth path that we didn't mention before as far as boycotts and, and other measures are concerned, that journalism, more than anything else, can, can actually reveal the truth.
0: Yeah, I mean, in the United States, we call journalism the fourth estate or the fourth pillar of democracy. So we have a three-part government with our, you know our administration and our Congress and our courts, And then the fourth estate is outside, and that's why it's so important to have a free press, so that somebody outside of all of those other government agencies can be looking in and providing the public a true look at at what's happening.
1: Yes. Well, congratulations. Amazing uh, work that you've done so so far. And we wish you all the best for the future. Martha Mendoza. Thank you very much. Martha Mendoza, Pulitzer Prize-winning Associated Press national writer. You can get in touch with us by email. Are there any scandals or issues that are not getting attention that you would like to shed light on? EFM this morning at gmail.com.